0: Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Afraid of the Dark. I am
1: Christina Medert. I'm John Henrikson.
0: And before we start this show, the information shared in this podcast is not a substitute nor is it to convey professional, psychological, financial, or medical advice. If you could use such services, please seek them out from the appropriate licensed Individuals. All right, we are really glad to be here after a, a long journey <laughs> of no power in Northern California.
1: <laughs> it's good times. It was my first experience camping with four walls,
0: <laughs> in a roof, and a floor. Yeah, that was amazing. Uh, we were gonna record this last week. Uh, was this, yeah, yeah, last week, and uh, well. Life had a different uh, idea for us. So welcome to our series on trauma. We are going to be doing um, a three-part series. And today we are going to be talking about trauma and its impact on attachment. So we're going to get more into that in just a few minutes.
1: Yeah, I'm actually kind of looking forward to doing this because... When I think of trauma, I don't think of it as detailed as how she's going to break it down. So it definitely can relate to anybody and everybody that's out there because we've all had trauma in our lives. It's just there's different types of trauma and definitely many different levels to it. So I think we're all going to get a lot of good stuff out of this. I know I am, and uh, we'll just see kind of where the show takes us today. It's going to be a lot of fun.
0: And very informative. So um, on Wikipedia, they say that psychological trauma, because we're going to start there, like, what do I, what do we mean when we're talking about trauma? So psychological trauma is a damage to the mind that occurs as a result of a distressing event. Trauma is often the result of an overwhelm, overwhelming amount of stress that exceeds one's ability to cope or integrate the emotions involved with that experience. So what does that mean? That means that when things happen to us that are like beyond our ability to admit that they're happening, um, the brain does something, right? I I like how it says exceeds one's ability to cope or integrate. So in fact, our brain has a protection mechanism this is fascinating when something like a huge car accident happens or something, um, some kind of abuse happens, we will dissociate. And what that word means is we will numb out. We will lose pieces of memory for that incident. Isn't that fascinating?
1: That is interesting actually. Yeah.
0: The mind has a built in protection mechanism where it's like alert, alert, too much, and and that's when, as we all know, cortisol is secreted in the body, right? So something happens that's profound, and the body secretes all this cortisol, and we so we can run farther or fight, and or sometimes we freeze. So there is this profound impact that it has on the body when we have traumatic events happen to us. And so that's what this show is going to be discussing today.
1: Well, it almost sounds similar to when someone has something traumatic happen to them physically, like an accident where, you know, somewhere in their body, they just have traumatic uh, injury from it. So they go into a state of shock to help, you know, take that pain away, at least initially. Yeah. So it's, well.
0: Absolutely. Like if somebody loses the ability to use their leg. Right. I mean, that that's like that's a huge shift in their ability to function and, and it definitely takes time to integrate all of that. So, yeah, and that's, we're going to, from that point, we're going to talk and decipher there, there's something called big T traumas and small T traumas. So, um, you know, big T traumas are like the big, um, childhood traumas where we have emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, um, one of our parents dies, um, you know, it's, it's just something that's so profound that it, like, like the definition says, we can't really wrap our head around it, right? If any of you have had any abuse as a child, um, I, I myself have gone through, well, went through a lot of uh, trauma as a child. And so there's something really confusing about, I love my mommy and daddy, and why are they hurting me? It's like the brain can't really rectify those two ways of thinking. And so we get this really confused way of being because it, it doesn't really make sense. And that's how I liken the understanding of the brain's inability to cope or integrate it because they don't go together. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we look at small T traumas, Um so non-threatening injuries, the death of a pet, the loss of a relationship—even though the loss of a relationship can feel like a big T-trauma. Sure, um, <laughs> I might actually argue that one, but um, it, you know, it's it's not—it's something over time we we can process and, and move through. So that hopefully helps you decipher.
1: Um, yeah, I had that pause there for a moment just because I was. Listening to you list off what big T's are in comparison to small T's, so I was trying to look in my past to see if I could relate to anything in the big T's. And you know, I feel fairly fortunate that I haven't had those experiences. You know, I've had definitely mm-hmm. some many many small T experiences, but uh, yeah. you know, I look at what the big T's are, and it's uh, it's understandable why people have such difficulty as they get older and become adults because of these childhood traumas that they incur. So that's why I pause. Cause I was just thinking yeah. about that going, Oh my God. You know, I think about some of those things and how would I handle it? And it's understandable why the brain does what it does to protect you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's something about, um, like I said, when, when you have these really big, these big traumas, I just think they impact so many things and that's, we're going to start talking about the different ways they impact our attachment. So when I say attachment, it's our ability to connect to the world in a safe way, right? It's the ability to connect to our own body in a safe way. Cause think about it. If you grow up, let's just say, because this shows mostly we're starting the first show with attachment on developmental kind of, Breaks in attachment. So if you grow up in an abusive environment or you've had a lot of abusive things happen to you, not only is it not safe to be in the place that you're living or being raised, but it's not safe to be in your body. Your body is like a war zone because the thoughts you're thinking are going to be negative thoughts. They're not going to be positive thoughts. And if someone's hurting you, you're not going to be like, oh, I'm the best. I'm great. You're going to be thinking things like, there's something wrong with me. I'm crap. I I don't deserve love. There's all these quiet little whispers that start to build in your system. And guess what happens when you become an adult? You're operating from all of that because it doesn't just go away. And it's so deeply rooted in the cells of your body.
1: And think of it this way, too. If you're feeling that way personally... Even when a good relationship comes into your life, you're going to be constantly thinking, what's going to go wrong? Yeah. Are they going to love me? Will they, will they really like me for who I am? Are they going to start to see the things that I see in myself that I don't like? So that's, that would be a really tough way to, well, move through life.
0: Yeah, and, and what's so, I, I love that point, because what's so challenging is we don't even know that we're thinking these negative things so many of the time. It's so, it's so natural. It's unconsciously real that we don't feel we deserve love or that the people closest to us are going to hurt us. It's profound because if our own close, safe people turn on us, turn on us. Then why wouldn't some stranger we meet in the world? Right. Right. It's like,
1: let me ask you a question. If you're feeling that way already, are you really going to have close relationships? Aren't you going to always still have maybe an arm's length distance from them because you're too afraid to let them get close to be hurt? I,
0: I Yes. If you don't do any work. on Well, it. of course. Yeah. With, without any work, I think a lot of people with trauma will turn to substances mm-hmm. and more isolation because they feel safer in that isolation. They feel safer in predictability And they don't want to stretch themselves too much because it's just too scary. Mm. And I've heard a lot of people, and I myself have had these situations happen where I'm like, why am I doing this? Or, or I've had adults say to me, I feel like I'm acting like a child and I'll say to them, you are, because that's the part of you that's been hurt. That's the part of you that needs the support Mm. and it's acting out because it's really scared Mm -hmm. that part. So now we're going to move into attachment, right? So, attachment styles in relating. And so, from a developmental point of view, right? If we grow up in a family that has secure attachment, what is that, right? And that's people who had a loving, affectionate um, environment where the caregivers responded appropriately and sensitively to distress, right? And so, a baby's crying, they're held they're comforted. If a child's crying, the parent would say, you know, what's, what's wrong and talk to mommy or talk to daddy. I, I, you know, I find these kinds of potential families. Amazing. I actually want to get people's autographs. <laughs> I've met them that have had <laughs> that kind of upbringing. So it, it, it and it's kind of crazy when we think to ourselves, wow, not everybody has that. No, most people actually don't it, go ahead. No, I was just
1: going to say, we did a show, on love addiction a while back, which kind of dived into into this a little bit. And I'm trying to remember what the percentages was, but they were stating that like at least it was like 50 or 60% had secure attachments. And both Christine and I, I still call that bullshit. I just don't think that's the case. I really don't think that's the case. And we should probably do a little more research to get yeah. to, to check that out because I think it's so far you and in between when it comes to having a truly secure relationship Mm -hmm. even with your kids because especially nowadays because life is pulling us in so many different directions that it's hard to always be there and be sensitive to our children's needs let alone our own needs
0: yeah how many how many families are single parent families oh my god I can't even imagine raising a child by myself I mean that would be you have to man you have to it would be so hard to tend to this child and to yourself and all the needs and challenges that come up.
1: I mean, that's where I feel really fortunate because I've worked with so many kids and I, I always see the parents and the dynamics that go on. And I just, I marvel at uh, watching them parent kids with, with both a father and a mother being there, let alone the single parents. Cause it's just like, man, you guys are, you guys are my true hero because whew, it is a challenge.
0: Yeah. So but back to the secure attachment. So a person that feels secure attachment growing up, bless you, you are amongst <laughs> the few. Um, but what happens when you become an adult is you feel secure in expressing your emotions, more confident in relationships, and you're more likely to cope with negative situations in a healthy way and negative feelings in a healthy way. So you you can adapt. You can adapt from a strong center. You can adapt from a place of strength and self-esteem that's solid. That's not, uh, you know, shaky and, um, poor, you know, put together in a way that's, that's unresourced. Right. And so I got, I got some of this info from a place called BirthQuest.com, And so they, they went into the different attachment styles that we're, we're talking about. So yeah, the secure attachment is, um, like I said, it's rare these days, but it does exist, and that's, that's what we want to reach for. In fact, I feel that's what we return to in our healing, right, is to be able to be securely attached in our relationships to other people. Um, so now we're going to move into avoidance attachment, and so what does this mean? Um, this is the parent that doesn't react to their kid crying, that has that tune-off button that I don't have, that I've actually had to walk up to some adults <laughs> and say, hi, so we're sharing a space and I don't have the flip switch that you do <laughs> and your child is wreaking havoc. I'm oh so sorry, but could you please, <laughs> you know, it's like they, they don't, they're not sensitive or reactive to distress when a child is mm. acting out. And so over time, day after day after day, right, um, the child why would they act their needs, their emotions out anymore? if right. Their needs aren't being met. In fact, they stuff them deep inside. Mm-hmm. That's what happens as an adult. There's an emotionally distant. We've all dated somebody who, when stuff goes wrong, we're like, uh, are they, where did they go? Like the person is disappeared physically or they're still sitting there, but there's nobody home. Right. These are the people that have like emotionally distant, uh, relating styles. Uh, we call it the, like the withdrawer in a
1: couple's work
0: and they're unexpressive. They don't really know how to express themselves probably because they didn't receive any soothing when they did. Interesting. Right.
1: Well, I'm looking at her notes and I'm, I'm seeing, I definitely have some avoidant attachment issues, uh-huh. but I also see myself having what we're going to talk about next. So can you have a blend of these things? Yeah,
0: absolutely. So
1: you, you don't have to be necessarily one attachment style. Okay.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, that's a really good question. I think the other way to look at it is we could be in more of a secure attachment in our life, but then we enter into like a new relationship or a new situation that challenges us. And we revert to one of these different styles based upon our upbringings and what our safe places. Well, I'm glad I
1: asked that in. question because I think somebody might think, well, do I have to fall under one yeah, category? absolutely. So obviously you do not. You Like myself, I've probably got a combination of them all
0: (laughs) yeah for sure i i it definitely varies and i think we tend to go more to to one style than another when Mm -hmm. we're under distress or when we're challenged so yeah and and so that's like i said I, i like that question um the third one resistant anxious preoccupied attachment so there's different ways to see it we could call it resistant anxious attachment or preoccupied and that's when a caregiver is inconsistent or unpredictable with comfort and responsiveness to distress right (laughs) so one day your your mom or your dad's like oh honey you're so sad and the next day they're like yeah piss off i don't want to deal with you so the child's really confused right and so this is where i think child children begin using like neediness or really big emotions wait, what's, what's the thing? You're blushing. I'm, I'm
1: what's just going on. I'm, keep, keep going. I'll, ah, I'll chime in in a right. second. I just read what it all means. Okay. I'm like, good You're
0: Lord. It, right. So the children use neediness or extreme emotional responses to get attention from the caregiver. And, you know, again, this is a child. I, I was just, I just had lunch today with this sweet little four-year-old girl, four-year-old girl who just loves me. And she's, it's so interesting. She, she just kept wanting to hold my hand. She's like, can I hold your hand? Are you going to walk with us? Are you going to stay with us?" Like she didn't want me to leave. And I, I, my joke was that she was my dopamine hit for the day or my second one. Cause it felt so good to be loved and wanted that way by this sweet little child. And her mom went to hold her hand and she said, no, thank you. (laughs) She just wanted to hold my hand. So again, how this all relates is (coughs) we are naturally emoting we as children we when we're healthy the healthy version of us is to emote to say what is our authentic need our Mm -hmm. authentic feeling and to have an appropriate response so when we don't it totally messes up if that girl got penalized or yelled at or shut down for saying to me that she was going to be sad if I left if she didn't have a good mom that child would eventually stop saying that. Mm-hmm. She would not say, I'm sad you're leaving. She would just have some kind of big emotion and have no way of feeling
1: comforted right. when she has that. Right. Right. That makes whole sense. Makes whole sense. So
0: what this means as an adult is, and, and, and I, I think I, I'm falling into this one a
1: little bit. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I was, that's why I was chuckling. <laughs>
0: well, as an adult, we can feel insecure in relationships and um, may act needy, clingy, and need a lot of reassurance, or we may disappear. <laughs> we may suddenly just opt out. So that's
1: to interesting. Having you know, connection. It's interesting that you can feel clinging or needy, yeah, or you can just completely push away. Yes. So why wouldn't that be avoidance?
0: Well, you know, I feel that...
1: That's where I get confused between the two, because yeah. if an avoidance is to push people away...
0: Well, unavoidance is more being unexpressive it's not so much pulling away. It's more unexpressive. It's more being emotionally distant. What I'm talking about is actually removing your body. Like actually completely severing the connection and stepping away completely. So, um, And I'm just speaking for myself in in (laughs) some of the things I've worked on over the years and will obviously continue to work on, but this resistant anxious preoccupied, it's like we're really confused. If someone's coming toward us, it's kind of like and they're treating us well. It's like, uh-oh, are they mm. going to hurt us? They're going to hurt us. Oh, they're going to go away. I better I better pull back. It feels too good. Oh, no. Oh, wait. And so it's like trying to regulate all of that
1: internal Well, it's beautiful because you do things. that. And what I do is I become clingy.
0: Oh. <laughs> That's a, or let
1: me rephrase that. That's what I used to do.
0: <laughs> what? Nice. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And I'm going
1: to talk about my cat, Jane. Oh, gosh. Because she is the perfect reminder of what you don't want to be like. <laughs> Jane. I love my cat. She's the best cat in the world, but she's like so clingy, needy, pet me, purr, purr, purr. So when I was going through the coaching academy, my buddy Sam, when we were talking about just different things we were learning, we would use my cat as this amazing example of you don't want to be like my cat when it comes to human relationships. <laughs> She's like, don't be Jane. <laughs> that's awesome.
0: So, anyway. Well, yeah, and, and there's something about why that's there. Mm-hmm. If somebody's clingy and needy or somebody's running away from something, something happened in their upbringing. Right. Where does that come from? That's not our natural like I just said. I was just having lunch with this little securely attached girl whose parents are very conscious. She was freely expressing herself, Mm -hmm. not afraid of her much. She actually had a few tantrums, but she moved through them quick because her parents were so attentive to her and so supportive. And it was beautiful to watch. I actually commended them for doing such good work, you know, as parents. And I saw it. And um, so, yeah, there's this interesting, it's like the reason that we're starting the show with the attachment wounds that occur is because that's what sets everything in motion for our adult ways of relating.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'll share. Cause I don't mind sharing stuff about myself, obviously. And I think it's something we can all relate to also, but you know, I, I was trying to figure out a few years back why I tended, tended to date women that were very similar. Um, and I went to some sessions and it, She she said it it all fell back to how I was raised, and oddly enough, I had a very secure attachment, you know, as a child. My parents were great caregivers, but just the emotional support that uh, that I could have used at a young age, I didn't always get. And I think that's one reason Mm -hmm. why, as an Mm -hmm. adult, I became clingy when I felt like things were being, uh, when someone was maybe
0: pulling away, pulling
1: away, or just it was just. I think it was more just my insecurity of being confident in myself that even though they might not be pulling away, I was still feeling like they were pulling away. Ah, So it's just, it's this weird, it's just how our mind can play tricks on us, you know, because, just because someone maybe doesn't respond right away or, or um, something comes up and they have to cancel on you, you know, it's amazing how our mind can you know flip it on us thinking, Oh shit, what did I do? Back. Are they pulling away from us? And it, it just makes more sense now that I can really relate to it more when I think about those sessions that I went on because I look at how I was brought up. You mean therapy sessions? Yes, therapy mm-hmm. sessions. I'm, I guess I'm trying to act like I'm so normal that I never went to therapy, but I did, and I'm proud that I did because it was very helpful. And
0: I'm proud. Of you. But I
1: see how that <laughs> it you know just all comes together because you know it, a little light bulb went my went off in my head. And I'm glad I did it because it's helped me take the needed steps to avoid this habit and, uh, you know, being more secure in myself to not always default to those feelings.
0: I I love that you brought that up because I wanted to just insert this point that's really important. And we're going to talk more about this in the the second show of the trauma series. But when we have had things that have been really hurtful, especially growing up as a child and we experience the pain being awoke inside of us, we do not have logic at our disposal. No. We are not logical beings. I just want to say this to you all out there listening. I'm sure you're all nodding your heads right now. Like, oh my gosh, yes, we are not. We will, we will regress into a younger part of ourselves or a younger aspect of ourselves. We will act out <laughs> and then feel shameful maybe the next day it might might take a few days but at some point the shame will kick in and I think you guys all know what I'm talking about because that reactivity in the body we lose logic we go into fight or flight in the brain and we think oh no I'm going to be hurt again I am going to be hurt again something bad is about to happen because it's happened in the past and or we're trying to prevent it from happening in the past so the body becomes this this lens of negativity Mm -hmm. we we can't see through what's really real we're suddenly no longer Mm -hmm. we can't trust our cognitions we we can't trust our bodies because they're reacting to something a lot of the time that's not happening in the moment right and so i have such compassion for all of us that have had uh big t traumas in our life because it takes a while to change that programming and that wiring. Um, and, and it's, it's very humbling to, to understand that.
1: But the beautiful thing is once you start to recognize it and, you know, when you can start to feel the things that are starting to cause these emotions, mm-hmm. you can start to break that cycle. So unfortunately it can take time for that to happen.
0: Yeah, absolutely. For sure. So moving to the next one, uh, the the fourth one here is disorganized. And these are caregivers that are atypical or frightening, right? A child has no clear strategy for seeking comfort or attention. So that's kind of like, and I can relate to this because I had a dad that would just bust into a rage. And we'd all be like, what? (laughs) There wasn't like an indicator of it, right? So we'd be in the house and playing with our toys dad would be smiling and the next minute dad is raging and we're all like, what happened? So there's this uh, fear of everything feels good, but it could shift at any moment. You know, it's, it's this really interesting um, uncomfortableness. And so adults that have this kind of disorganized caregiving um, they're usually in tumultuous relating, like they get into like really intense relationships Um, They don't know how to express their needs and they really fear showing vulnerability. I can definitely happily, I I don't have this one anymore, but for many years I was the powerful woman that had no needs and needed no one. Like it was just very, well, that's how I coped with my trauma. I didn't want anybody to think I was weak. I didn't want to show the wounds that were inside me because I didn't want to be called a sissy. I didn't want to be seen as, as, vulnerable to anybody because in my family of origin vulnerability was used against you it was a weapon it'd become a weapon and it would be thrown in your face and just such it would just be such a mess so I learned really quick how to stay hidden inside myself and how to stay um, out of the public eye when it came to anything that was around That's vulnerability
1: scary I think we both conclude now, after especially after doing the show and talking about being vulnerable, how being vulnerable is such, it's the ultimate sign of courage.
0: Absolutely. And, and, and to me, in many
1: ways, it makes you so powerful when you can actually be vulnerable yeah. to another person. It takes a lot of courage, but it makes you powerful because you're you trust who you are. You're not afraid to show who you are, and that might scare some people because they're unable to do that, but
0: those aren't the people you want around you. Well said. Right. I mean Well said. I when I date people, I will share little bits about myself and see how they respond. I remember I was on a date once and I, I told the guy I had a really, you know, trauma, I had a lot of trauma growing up in my family and it was, you know, pretty crazy, etc. and he looked at me and said, "I don't I've never experienced that before. I I can't relate to any of that." That, that was his answer. And I was like, "Ooh, that didn't feel very good." <laughs> that wasn't You know, it was interesting to see that he he couldn't even hold it because he didn't understand. Mm -hmm. Um, So I didn't feel any compassion or any kind of affect from the guy. So I thought that was really interesting. But yes, our process that we share, and and this is how we start healing, right? And so we're going to talk more about this in the next show. But like John was just saying, when we can go inside and tend to the parts of us that are scared, are vulnerable, are feeling fear and have enough courage to share that part or those parts with people close to us and have a welcoming response, we call that a corrective experience. And that's what begins healing trauma. In fact, there's a really good quote by Danielle Burnock from Emerging with Wings. And she says, trauma is personal. It does not disappear if it is not validated. When it is ignored or invalidated, the silent screams continue internally, heard only by the one held captive. When someone enters the pain and hears the screams, healing can begin. So one of the biggest antidotes that I have found on my healing journey with myself and others that I've supported is revealing yourself is step one Mm -hmm. to allowing people in to your system that has been shut down and hidden away. Mm -hmm. And only heard by you. I love this quote. Only heard by you, like, inside your own prison, right? Inside your own prison of the body and the mind.
1: I like that quote. That's really good. Yeah. Powerful, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's interesting that I think so many of us are shut down and scared to show who we are, and again, it's the, the fear of having hard conversations with people close with sometimes because we we don't want to hurt their feelings or rock the boat or do we have time to have these conversations? Or
0: we're afraid they're going to go
1: away. Or yeah, and <laughs> you know the one thing that I've learned over the last four or five months that these uncomfortable conversations are vital to having a healthy friendship or relationship with another party, because if anything, it's going to deepen the relationship and it's going to make you more vulnerable to each other, which is going to make you grow. And obviously it's going to make you heal whatever trauma you're dealing with.
0: Absolutely. Well said, Mr. Henderson. I have my
1: moments. You do.
0: <laughs> well, you know, this, hopefully what this first show has done for you, the listener is, there's nothing wrong with you, right? I, I just I wanted to do a series on trauma because I feel like trauma is so rampant in our culture. And there's so many reasons why. And we're going to be exploring trauma and from so many different levels. We're going to go into relationships. We're going to go into addiction. We're going to go into all the ways that we manage lack of connection and feeling safe and secure in our lives. So, recognizing how you were raised by your parents, who, as I said, did the best they could, because I'm sure they've had their trauma, right? Trauma is usually generational, too. I just want to say that. Trauma is generational. It is passed down most of the time. Um, I haven't met many parents uh, that are in my age group or I'm sorry, that are older than me that have said, oh, I had to heal this when I was raising my child. <laughs> no, it's, it's, more, it's more generation, my generation, 40s, 50s, that are really, I see, showing up and doing the work to try to become better parents. And I think that's so admirable. But looking back on, on the different uh, attachment styles, the secure, which we strive for, the avoidant attachment, the resistant, anxious, preoccupied attachment and the disorganized attachment styles try really taking a look at how your parents parented without judgment just just recognizing it to give yourself some compassion some some understanding as to why you're behaving or not behaving in certain ways i like
1: the fact that you said that because i look back at how my parents raised me and they they did what they thought was right. Mm-hmm. So I don't judge them on that. They they were, they were great parents. Mm-hmm. We just, you know, I think we all see, I don't have children, so maybe I can't relate to this very well, but we're all going to make mistakes as parents. It's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, it's just recognizing it and trying to correct where we do make those mistakes. And unfortunately that's not always going to happen.
0: And there are those of us, myself included, that it's going to take a while to forgive our parents of course <laughs> you know it's it's of course. There, there's a way to hold the recognition that they did they did the best they could mm-hmm. and then i think there's another voice in my head and it's not just for my own upbringing but for the people right. who what, stories i've heard where you say to yourself like what the heck
1: right. were they doing well, and
0: over good. and over what
1: and that's why it's good cuz you know <laughs> unfortunately you had your experience growing up i had mine two totally two different things yeah We both have different forms of trauma, which is, I think, important when we do talk about this.
0: Oh, absolutely. And
1: I got a really good quote, too, that I want to share. Um, It's from Salmon.com. But healing doesn't mean the pain never existed. It means the damage no longer controls our lives. So I think it's a really great quote because it it does show you that, you know, once you are becoming more self-aware of why you're feeling the way you're feeling and why you react to things the way you do, you can start to really change those patterns. And that doesn't mean whatever happened to you goes away, but it no longer does cause Mm -hmm. the damage that it's causing in your current relationships or future relationships.
0: Absolutely. And even when we work on ourselves, sometimes there's still hidden Hmm. little nuggets of things that
1: rear their head. You're like,
0: I got to do more work on that. I got to look at that piece. (laughs) It's
1: never ending. It's kind of, it's kind of never ending. It's never ending. It's stuff you have to, focus on every single day
0: yeah I, I like that and, we're, and that's going to be part of our you know regimen um, one of the shows we're going to do is how to kind of begin healing trauma and what that looks like so we are so glad that you are here with us and we really appreciate uh, your participation and your attention to our podcast and want to ask that you please share this with someone that you know because there are so many people struggling and we would love for our podcast to reach people that need it.
1: Absolutely. Cause we do realize we talk about some, some tough topics and we said repeatedly topics that we would rather perhaps turn our back on because it's, it's too real and we don't want to, you know, we'd rather bury it. So give it a listen, share it with people you think it would be helpful for and, uh, just know that we're just trying to be real and authentic with you because that's just how we want to live our lives. And we hope you guys want to do the same as you move forward.
0: Absolutely. And so join us next week for our second part to the series on trauma and its impact on how we live in the world. So if you would like more information about the work that I do or the programs that I offer, please email me at trustaftertrauma.com.
1: And if you want to work a little bit on some one-on-one coaching with me, where I'm focusing on nutrition, physical activity, and our self-improvement, please contact me at jwh at com. All right.
0: Thank you so much. And we will see you next week.
1: Have a great day, everybody.